Good morning. Are we going to bring up the house lights? Hey, there you are. I knew you were here. I could hear you. Well, this morning I had promised uh, that Shelley was going to, to join me, and we're looking forward to this. I want you to know that we've been asking for questions from our small groups, our our R groups, and uh, we have a number of questions, and Shelley and I are, are going to attempt to answer seven of those questions uh, this morning. I wanted you to know that uh, because once I sit in this chair, you're going to see my, my socks. Can you see them? These are my peppy socks. I feel peppy when I have these socks on. So uh, I wanted to give you a forewarning so you wouldn't be completely distracted <laughs> seeing my socks peeking through. Um, we've been in Ephesians, and I hope everyone that's here this morning heard last week's message. I had prepared to do some review, but I didn't want to cheat anybody of the time that you would get with Shelley if I were to do kind of a review, a quick review of last week. So what I'd like to do is just read a little of the scripture that we've been in, and then I'm going to ask Shelley to come up and join me. And uh, we'll pick up the questions that arise uh, out of this passage. We've been in Ephesians chapter 5, especially verses 18 through 33. But I want us to start with verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5, because this, is to the, this letter is to the entire church, and everything that is said specifically at various points about various individuals and roles within the church, and in particular, as we saw last week, the household um, Everything is built theologically. By that I mean it's grounded in principle. It's grounded in principle that's made real by Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so that becomes the foundation for all of the application. We never want to lose sight of that. Our lives should always be traced back fundamentally to Jesus Christ. And so let's begin at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. And he begins with the word therefore. In other words, based on everything that has been said in the previous chapter, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then let's pick up with verse 18. And he begins with a qualification. Rather than be drunk with wine, he says, which is debauchery, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. And I explained last week why the verb is not there. We understand it. But I wanted to skip it 
just to remind you that that verb in its meaning, the word submit, is traced back to Jesus himself and verse 21 grammatically. What it meant in verse 21, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, it means in verse 22, the same thing. But in this case, within the role of a marriage, the wife to her own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives in everything to their husbands. Again, the verb is skipped. Paul sensitively wants wives to appreciate that whereas before they were expected in that ancient society to be submissive, there was no question. Now it is to come not out of some arm-twisting obedience, it's to come out of the sweet reverence, respect that they derive from Jesus, who certainly deserves it of each and every one of us. Husbands, and here five times in the next couple of verses, and listen to the way Jesus loves the church, and what he's trying to do with his bride is what we, who are husbands, or the male counterpart in any relationship, are to do toward our spouses, our wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. There's the meaning and the sense of head. It's relationship to the body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife and himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband, which is an echo of what was said in verse 21 and 22. So if you will, I'm going to ask uh, Shelly to come up and uh, join me, and we're going to answer some questions that are focused on this passage. I love to kiss my wife. Well, that's good. Now, Rather than someone else. <laughs> I really have, was praying, and I think I, I don't know if I told John or a friend, I said, I'm really hoping that I will be respectful today and not open my mouth and say things that I shouldn't, because sometimes I do. So that's really what I'm hoping today. Right? Mm-hmm. 
we have had a lot of questions, and we'll try to pick up some more next, next week, but one of the questions that, I, I, surprisingly, uh, showed up the most is this question, and I want to ask it of you, Shelley. Um, tell us all the things that you love about John. <laughs> Actually, before the service, quite a few people said to me, now we get to hear all the dirt on John. <laughs> Nobody not, asked that no. question, but... Um, <laughs> I thought it was an important one. I have that question. No. But I, it does raise the question of the role of humor in a, in a relationship, a lightheartedness, the chance uh, to laugh together. Do you have any thoughts about that? I do. Um, and I haven't seen most of these questions, so I'm oh. coming in kind of cold, which is fine. John had great confidence in me, so if I have to pause and think. I wouldn't let her see them. One thing I do think about humor, I really wish it was something we had had a lot earlier. Um, we're both firstborns. We're both kind of serious, studious type people. And I think that that caused for a lot of... Um, we were just too serious, and we didn't take ourselves um, lightheartedly, and we, we're trying to do that much more in the last few years. But I would encourage you, especially if you're younger and or looking to get married, you know, keep your sense of humor, because there's a lot about life that's really tough, and um, I, I just wish we'd had more humor earlier. What, you too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to laugh at yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's the first real question. You can see we're serious. We don't laugh. We always say, I'm laughing on the inside. I'm laughing on the inside. <laughs> that reminds me. I would tell her jokes, and she would just be stone-faced after I would... And she would say, I'm laughing on the inside. I said, why aren't you howling? That is a really funny joke. The only time I really and laughed a whole lot was when I was pregnant. And then I had like a belly <laughs> laugh. And I liked that, but I didn't want to stay pregnant just to have that belly laugh. <laughs> we should get to the questions. How do we restore, how do we restore the, last week we talked about the, uh, the household and how in the ancient world, even the philosophers um, and writers regarded the household, which we see here in chapter 5, uh, verse, beginning from, at verse 18, running through chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, husbands and wives, fathers and children, masters and slaves, and of course, the head of the household would be the same person, the husband, the father, and the master. Uh, but we brought, I brought up the word nuclear because that really was the nuclear unit of society, and that's why it would be taken up into questions of philosophy, the way we govern, all kinds of rules and regulations. They called them household codes, and they, they were relevant to all of society. And so it was a, it was a matter of, if you will, academic debate. Um, so when I brought up the word nuclear, uh, it brings up this question, how do we restore the nuclear family? And, and I haven't given her a chance to answer these or think about these questions because I do think she works great off the top of her head and she knows the answer to all these things because <laughs> she tells me all the time. So. Um, <laughs> 
You know, you want me to start? uh, No, I can start a little bit. You can fill in. Um, The nuclear family, as you brought it out last week, I think it is really important. The family is the backbone of our culture, of our society. And um, those of us who have lived a while, um, we've seen the decline of the family, whether it be the respect for parents, um, the respect for our elders, um, the respect for God. And that has, I think, caused the family to just disintegrate in so many ways, which is so tragic. Um, I think the only way that the nuclear family can be restored is the Lord. I mean, that is the only way. And I always say that when I speak to women about marriage, um, I couldn't do this if I didn't have my relationship with the Lord. And you brought this out earlier, that that is our foundation. And so much of what I will say or answer today is only because I believe that Jesus came, he died for us, he rose again, And because of that, we have redemption. And that is why I do what I do, what I say, what I say, that I'm the wife that I am. And that is really the only way we can restore the nuclear family. But I do think if it is a family where there's a husband and wife, and also because of our society, we have a lot of broken homes. We have a lot of blended families, which is just so challenging. Um, but I think there has to be respect and love in the family and just what, what we're instructed here. And that is fundamental. And we've gotten away from that a, a that's, lot. That's pretty much what I was going to say. Uh, I, 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 I spent time thinking about these questions. And I, I start, again, like Shelley, any person who wants to see the, the family restored in their own household, that person has to take leadership, and that leadership begins and can only be sustained by the Lord. It has to begin with Him. So if you want to see change in your family, if you want to see change in your spouse, whether your husband or wife, change in your children, the best thing you can do is start with renewing your relationship and commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because it then His power, His strength, His endurance, His goodness, His kindness, His love will be your North Star. And I, I would say I can uh, restore your love and commitment to your spouse. Restore that. Seek to restore the head-body relationship. Uh, the impenetrable bond of the parents is the key. So start in your relationship. Model that love if you're a husband. Model that love and respect to one another. The kids will pick up on that. Children sense more than we expect them to understand. They mirror emotionally what's going on. They can understand whether there is a spirit of stability and trust and predictability in a household. And they can certainly sense when there is chaos and there is fear and there is anger. So I really think that... um, But all that could just add to it, because I really agree uh, with what you said, um, that children and the people in your family will sense that. But 
one thing when I thought about coming today is I wanted to be an encouragement to our church um, that things don't always go perfectly at all. And so you can model all the right things and say the right things and do the right things, but there's, there's no guarantee. Um, but that still is what we're called to do. So I think it's important to know that there are no magic formulas in raising children and that as we raise our children, they make choices of their own, which sometimes we wish they just won't, wouldn't. Uh, but, but all that to say, I think it is important. And they may not follow you in the footsteps mm -hmm. of Christ. Mm -hmm. But you will lead a life with, with fewer regrets mm -hmm. or no regrets if you lead that kind of life. Yeah. Because you will have wholeness of soul. You will know that you loved him. That is, you loved the Lord your God and you loved your neighbor, which happens to live under your own roof as yourself. And you can't do better than that. And you will do it in the power of God. And you will know his peace and you'll grow in wisdom as you manage the challenges that you will continue to face. Because we all know if we're adults in this room, we know that life doesn't always throw us soft pitches. Mm -hmm. so. Here's the second question. Oh, by the way, one more thing. When we were married, uh, when we started out, I wanted Shelley to love me because I was lovable. I, I wanted, I craved that assurance. I wanted what she said to me, how she said it, her countenance, her kindnesses, all to be affirmation that I am a lovable, I'm a worthy husband, that she loves me because I'm number one in her life. One of the hardest lessons I had to learn as a growing Christian in Christ is that the greatest love that Shelley can give me is love not based on who I am, but on who he is. And that's humbling to me, because that means I didn't earn it, merit it. It's not because I'm so lovable. It's because he's so lovable, and she loves him more than me. But in loving him more than me, I'm a beneficiary, a huge one. And uh, so I just thought I'd throw that in on that question. That's where we find our, our strength. The second question is, husbands are told to love their wives. Wives are told to respect their husbands. How does this look in day-to-day -day life? You know, I've, I have, over the years, we've been married 43 years, and we were quite young when we got married, and I thought I knew a lot of things, and I'd prayed about who I would marry. Um, but I had read this passage many, many times, and it never really, until probably 20 years ago, it didn't strike me about the respecting part, that how we were as women commanded to respect our husbands and what that really entailed. And once I grasped this concept, uh, I think it really helped change our marriage for the good. Uh, it's something we still work on, I still work on. Um, but for me, what this and there's a great book and some of you have probably read it uh, love and respect by emerson Egrich. it's just an excellent book and i've recommended it to a lot of people and he really spells out these concepts and i believe that if you can implement them it can be really good for you but 
I think women do have a deep sense to be loved. Uh, we don't always put it that way, but we have this need. God has wired us in a way that we crave or we want that love from the most important person in our life, which is generally our husband. Um, if you're not married, it could be from a parent or someone else, but we have that great desire to be loved. And men have, they can love and they should love but they also have a desire, they want to be loved, but they have a desire to be respected. And it was so interesting, I was leading a Bible study once and um, we had talked about a lot of different things and we had one extra week. So I said to the, I, I decided I would bring John in and interview him and I did not give him the, answer, the questions beforehand. And one of the questions I asked him was, when do you feel the most loved by me? And he was quiet and thought about it. And then he said, when I feel respected by you. And I, that really surprised me and shocked me a little bit. And he, he then went on to explain. And so that was a real eye-opener to me, too. But I think respect in practical ways, um, and we're continuing to learn. Are we going to get into some practical ways, or what do you think? Right now. Yeah. I mean, I think as women, we don't set out to disrespect our husbands. Um, sometimes maybe, but most of the time, no. <laughs> we don't. But what I find with when I am, maybe that disrespect comes out, and it can come out in different ways. I have a dad who had four daughters, and then he, or he has four daughters, and he had four older sisters. So I asked him after I'd read this book, too, I said, Dad, have you felt disrespected in your life? He goes, oh my gosh, yes. And my mom was sitting over there and, you know, and I said, what are some ways that you have felt disrespected by all these women in your life? And he, the things he mentioned were answering questions for me, not giving me the time to think, to answer my own questions, interrupting me, uh, rolling of the eyes, um, crossing of the arms, uh, you go. You can name them, and for different men, it might be different things. But I realized I never, even with my father, I never set out to disrespect him. I really always thought of myself as a very good child and very respectful. But there were times that I was disrespectful, just that I wasn't honoring him and who he was and what he needed. I think love and respect is really becoming a student of your spouse and finding out what their needs are. And then we, as a significant person in their life, it's my responsibility, outside of the Lord, of course, to meet those needs in John's life, and for John to do vice versa and meet the needs in my life. And if his need is to be respected, um, then I need to find ways to do that. So then I started asking John, I, at one point I said, hold me accountable. If I'm acting disrespectful to you, let me know, because sometimes I did, really, I did not have a clue. I didn't have a clue of what I, it was I was doing, but now I've become very attuned that I can tell, because we still have debates and um, <laughs> about things, and I can almost tell when he just kind of goes like this. You know, he just, he deflates. And it's because either usually of my tone, um, the way I'm saying it, maybe choosing the wrong time. You know, he's exhausted. He's had a really, really hard day at work. Um, and I'm not sensitive to maybe that isn't the right time. It's something that still needs to be said. 
but uh, you know those things, and he just he just deflates. And so it's important as you go along to learn those cues from your husband um, of what it is that causes him, even though you would never think that, that you were being disrespectful. But you can tell that for him, that that's really an issue. And I think a lot of times with women, and you can talk to this about loving, and when you kind of came around to, I mean, I think you always loved me, but when you came around to really loving me as Christ loved the church, um, when we are disrespectful or come across that way, it's really because we're afraid. I'm afraid that maybe John's not going to take care of me in the right way, or he's not going to do the best thing for our family. So it's out of fear that I'm not giving that respect. And that's not right either. You know, that's not right either. That's a whole nother. And by the way, that's why communication is so important. So you can attune yourselves and be uh, together, mm-hmm. in, especially in decisions of great weight. Gee, I didn't, I didn't know you had to do all that stuff to get I along do. with me. I do, I do. You know, we'd have to do that. But, but really, we'd have to do that to get along with anybody, right? Is it easy to live with anybody? Was it easy to live with your children? Is it easy to live with your parents? Is it easy to live with your best friend? Life is tough. People are tough. So it, it, I'm sure that you've struggled with that with me. <laughs> And look, if you're just, I mean, if, if the Lord speaks to you and you, you, this is a real about face for you in your relationship, I want you to know that uh, we grew so much in our relationship in the crucible of those 10 years we were in South San Francisco. And here I am, somebody who's been through I have a master's degree. I've I've been through biblical education. I've been through an intern program. I've been on staff. I've been a a, a college professor. And now I'm a pastor at a church. And we're in our (laughs) mid-30s. And we go on vacation to that lake. Mm -hmm. It's been in the burn zone, and I can't think of the name of it. Just beyond Calistoga. And we went clear Clear lake. And we went with uh, our first cousins. And Brad was one year ahead of me in school. He's my, my cousin, and he Your, loved me. Shelley's first cousin. But we were, we were together as a foursome for that week. And Brad picked up in my tone the way I would be cutting to Shelley. I'm not proud of that. That was my reaction to feeling as though I was not respected because that said that she didn't really value me. And so in kind, I would drop these digs. And my cousin took me aside. This is not something I banter about. I'm telling you because I hope that if I'm straight up with you, maybe it will help you. And Brad took me aside. It was hard news. But it was a, a place to begin for me. And for me, it, I, have to go to, I have to study about these things. I have to think about them. I have to figure them out. I have to look inside myself and figure out what, what are the dynamics of this sort of thing. 
So I encourage you that if, if uh, you're touched by God's word in Ephesians 5 and we give you some practical pointers, don't think that just thinking about it and saying, I'm gonna be different, that it'll happen. You're gonna have to reflect. You're gonna have to go to school on yourself. You're gonna have to start talking to your spouse and working through these things together in an open and public way with one another because then she can help you. And I, I did have the smarts enough to go to Shelly and say, I realize this about myself. I'm trying to make changes. I need your help. I want you to help me in this because I can't do it without you. I can't do it if you're, if you're my enemy. And along the way, I would see, I, it was very obvious to me the change, of course, that she made I could tell that she was reaching out to help me in these practical ways. So and, and I, I want to interject that I think younger, we were in our 30s, so we were younger, and I think I would take what, what he would say and maybe those little, they hurt me, and, but I was in a way taking him as, oh, I'm supposed to submit. I'm supposed to be, you know, anything he says is okay. But I think what we learned along the way is that was just knowledge, again, of the word. But the song we sang today about let my, I don't know, let my ways outweigh my song or, in other words, actions, that's really putting into action what Christ is putting into our heart. That's the most important thing. So we can say all the words or, you know, quote all the scripture you want, but if it is not heartfelt and it's not something that you are actually living then it, it does no, no good. So the communication was really important. And sometimes it's hard to hear and to be really vulnerable with each other. Maybe you've never been vulnerable or talked much about your feelings or what you need or what you want. But that can be so helpful and life-changing if you can become vulnerable to each other. And, and that really endeared John to me. I mean, it really did. It, I, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be his savior and save him, but it, it, it made me feel good that he needed my help, and I knew that was in my scope to do that, to help him. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to build each other up in Christ. We're supposed to encourage. We're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to put them first. Those are all script commands from Scripture. So, And I think that is the leadership of Christ. Obviously, no, no husband in Christ uh, called head in Ephesians 5 is Jesus Christ. Uh, but I have found, I've stumbled into this along the way because that covenant commitment that I made to Shelley to love her before the Lord has been a driving force since day one. I wanted to cultivate her like Christ cultivates the church. I wanted her to retain her individuality because it was, in fact, who she is and who she grows to be in Christ that was attracted me, that I fell in love with. So I want, I want to enable her to become more of that in Christ. And that, that required, in that process, uh, me being increasingly honest and vulnerable. Um, and you know what? In leadership, uh, it was not the kind of leadership that I was taught, but I find that uh, I'm able to communicate better with others who, in the chain of command, if you will, 
are, so to speak, in responsibility at other places than I am. But in the midst of all that, if they feel that they can approach me, that I'm like them, that we have common cause, they have clearly defined purposes, they know we're in this shoulder to shoulder, that makes me a better leader because I listen to them, I'm, they can approach me, uh, they don't feel like I'm superior to them, uh, I'm not just a fault finder, I'm a problem solver. And I have a higher degree of accountability because I have higher responsibility, but I'm human just like them. Now, those same principles apply in any relationship, and they apply in our marriages. But we have to really become vulnerable. And your spouse, husband or wife, will not miss the point. You are laying everything down on the line to become one and to survive and flourish and triumph together. Um, we don't have dogs and cats anymore. We've outgrown Yay. them. <laughs> but I've had a lot of dogs, big dogs and small dogs. Do you know how a dog shows submission? It rolls on its back. And in a marriage, every husband and wife should learn to roll on its back and expose their belly. Hmm. Interesting illustration. <laughs> One thing I want to add here, um, you can break the cycle. You don't necessarily have to have, you might think, oh, well, they grew up in homes where good parenting was modeled and good marriage was modeled. I have wonderful parents who have been married for, oh, gosh, 64 years, 64 um, but my mother did not show my dad respect, and he has been a faithful, faithful husband to her and loving and shown Christ's love in a way like I just, I don't want to talk about it because I'll cry, but um, they had a good marriage, but it wasn't the marriage that I think we read about in Ephesians. John came from a broken home. Um, his mother loved the Lord, but his father struggled a lot. So you can break the cycle. It doesn't matter how you were raised or what um, was a part of your life. You can, you can break the cycle. I mean, April and Joseph know that. They've been a great example to me even about marriage. Uh, you know, maybe you're even in your second or third or fourth marriage, but you can start anew and start now. So it is something that is totally doable. Not perfectly, but it's doable. The third question is, what does submit mean? Examples would be good. It's kind of related. Um, I think there are clues to its definition in Paul's dictionary, and we get insight into Paul's dictionary from the way he uses the words in the passage. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and 33, submission is grounded in respect that is shown to Christ. And what does that look like in your dictionary? I don't know what it looks like in your dictionary, but I'm willing to tell you what it looks like in my dictionary. In my dictionary, which I want to be as biblical as I can possibly write it, submission is showing respect that, in, that includes humility. And humility that comes from my devotion to and acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord. That may seem like a no-brainer to you, 
But I find that arrogance and pride and selfishness, being self-centered and putting myself first can become so comfortable to us that we don't even recognize it. And it's only when I really turn to the Lord that I see the subtleties of my own selfishness. Um, And that gets in the way of hearing her needs and caring for her with the love of Jesus Christ. Um, Submission in my dictionary affects the opinion that I hold of hers, of her, um, and of others. And it affects the words that I use. And it affects the consideration that I give. Uh, Submission, to me, is a, a synonym for doing the golden rule. If, if Jesus is Lord, I do the golden rule. If I do the golden rule, I have to submit. Does that make sense? There's no way that I can love another person as I would want that person to love me. There's no one, there's, there's no one that I can treat as well as I would want that person to treat me unless I'm willing to put myself aside step away from my own self-interest and, and my own pursuits and advantages. Um, and I, I think in submission, if, if I'm letting Jesus be the Lord, then I don't get to feel sorry for myself. That's what submission looks like. I don't get to do what another person needs or put their interests ahead of my own, and that all comes in the wake of putting his interests ahead of my own, then I don't get to then sulk and say, woe is me, or I've got, got it so tough. There, it's not, look it, it, it's, it's so many good things result from living like this. Um, so basically, submission is seeking Christ's best for another, and it results in my life when I put him first and not myself first. And I agree with all of that. I would basically say for me, submission, when I read that here and when I think about it, is an attitude. It's attitudinal towards John, um, towards others. But it is, and respect, I I did write that down because I thought that might come up. I, I really feel that being submissive is being respectful. That respect, it's, they're really tied together. Mm-hmm. And that even when um, I'm feeling like I'm submitting to you, whether it's I'm really mad or I'm upset about something, I don't agree with something, I can do it in a respectful way. I, we can talk about it in a respectful way. And as, you know, John is also my brother in Christ. And so in Scripture, it says that we're supposed to go to each other also. So it doesn't mean I never say anything or, you know, the Lord has gifted me just as he's gifted John. And he's gifted us in different ways. But, you know, I am called also to talk to him openly and honestly about things that the Lord places on my heart. Um, It's interesting, um, in Love and Respect, I think I remember he talked about he, he and his wife had decided early on that she would submit to him whenever it was a really, really big um, decision, you know, really big, really important. 
But he said, interestingly enough, we've never had any really big and really important decisions that we've had to do. And I'd say that's really true for John and I. He's, he's been so respectful of me um, and encouraging, and I think that's the way he is loving me as Christ loved the church, that to be honest with you, we have had our struggles over the years for sure, but we have never had anything where he said, this way is the only way we will do it. I think what's happened is the Lord has brought, because both of us really are seeking the Lord. We don't always do it at the same times, and we do it imperfectly, but both of us do want to serve the Lord. He's the most important thing in our lives. So the Lord probably changes our hearts and changes our minds, and so we come together more. So we've really never had that crossroads, do you think? No. No. Yeah. I really don't I'm think. thinking of the one time. Oh, I we, was thinking of that too. We, <laughs> I went and got the Bible and I read that verse and I, I held it up to her. I said, you're supposed we to submit to me. This yeah. We were in our 20s. Yeah. Bar- we hadn't been married very long. And you wanted us to pray. And I'm not proud of this, but I said, I'm not going to pray with you when you have that kind of an attitude or something like that. And I, I walked off. But, and she was right. Yeah, I, I remember that. I remember right where we were. Okay. So that, that's about it on submission. I mean... <laughs> she means in space and time. <laughs> I don't find submitting that hard. I have to admit, as a woman being raised as the oldest of four daughters by a dad who thought we could do anything. We were just as good as any of our boy cousins. Um, And boy, he just would, you know, pound that in us. And I think that's a good thing. It gave me a lot of confidence. Um, But as a woman in this day, in this culture, sometimes it's hard to read things like this, or that we're the weaker vessel. But that's a whole other thing we can talk about scripturally, what that really means in 1 Peter. But you know, you bristle a little bit at some of the terminology, but when you really get down to what it really means, it's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing. To me, you are a strong person if you can submit. And that Mm -hmm. means with all the things John said that you give, you put the other person first. You forgive when you maybe have been wronged. Um, You you, you're angry, but you don't sin. Those words don't come out that can be so hurtful and divisive that you can't take back. So we're not going to get to any more questions. No. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll take up the balance of the questions next week, and there are some good ones. And there's a question in there that has to do with, uh, yeah, well, what happens if there isn't that kind of mutual cooperation? And that is... We've alluded to that, that not everything, this isn't a baking recipe. And and as, as a church, as this local body, as the bigger church, I do think we need to be more vulnerable to each other. You know, if you're struggling, which we struggled, I struggled in silence for a lot of years. I really did. Even, I don't think John knew some of the things I was struggling with. But I would hope, and why I wanted this to be an encouragement is, you know, go to someone, talk to someone, call them. Don't have so much pride that you don't want people to see where you're hurting and that you need help. Often we can't do it alone. 
and maybe you need counseling. Uh, maybe you need just to have someone to be accountable to, or you need someone to encourage you, like you will get through this, or there is light at the end of the tunnel. I think it's really important in the body of Christ. We need, we need to be there for each other, and um, don't be afraid to step out. With that, I'll close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for one another. We love one another because you loved us first. And thank you for your Son and your Spirit, the work of your Spirit in our midst. Bless us as we go from here, and may we go with a realization that we have resources in you to make a difference in our families, in our workplace, in our school, in our friendships, in this world, because you have made a difference in us. And it's in your matchless and precious name we pray. And all of God's people said, God bless you.